to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews and creative writing. My name's Georgina Arnott, and I'm the Assistant Editor at ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version, or $60 for print plus online. My name is Tracy Ellis. Earlier this year, my essay, Flow States, won the 2023 Calibre Essay Prize. I was so thrilled to win this award. It's been a real honour. Now, the 2024 Calibre Prize is underway with a closing date of January 22. ABR is seeking essays of all kinds, personal or political, literary or speculative, traditional or experimental. This prize, open to writers in English around the world, is a wonderful opportunity for writers established or emerging. Full details appear on the ABR website. Good luck. This week's ABR podcast is a reflection on the future of referendums. In light of the campaigns for and against the voice and the outcome of that vote, constitutional scholar Anne Toomey argues that referendums in Australia are now an endangered species, not least because the body politic is losing faith in their capacity to enhance democracy, and more and more people see them as forms of elite political intervention. Toomey reminds us of the original intent behind referendums and warns that we risk undermining democracy when we view constitutions as sacred and fixed. Anne Toomey is a Professor Emerita of the University of Sydney and was a member of the Constitutional Expert Group advising on the voice referendum. Here is Anne Toomey with Voiceless in Australia. Will we ever have another referendum? Published in the December issue of ABR. Voiceless in Australia. Will we ever have another referendum? by Anne Toomey. Do you know whether Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are recognised in your state constitution? Now, if you responded with a mental shrug and a muttered, no idea, then you would fall within the vast majority. In fact, from 2004 to 2016, each Australian state amended its constitution to insert recognition of their Indigenous peoples. Yet the effect has been negligible, and hardly anyone knows it happened. Why? Well, first, the recognition was purely symbolic. There was no practical mechanism included to improve Indigenous lives. Most states expressly rejected any legal consequences of the recognition by adding a clause declaring that the recognition created no legal rights or causes of action and could not be used to affect the interpretation of the constitution or any laws. Second, the state constitutions were amended without a vote of the people in a referendum. Unlike the Commonwealth constitution, some parts of state constitutions can be amended by ordinary legislation, with referendums being reserved for specially designated types of changes. Now, the upside of this flexibility at the state level was that Indigenous constitutional recognition could occur quietly and painlessly within parliamentary walls. The downside 
was that it wasn't backed by the moral force of the will of the people and the political pressure that this brings. Nor did it build public knowledge and acceptance of that recognition as a successful referendum would have done. So now we have constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians across every state in the nation, which is largely unknown and ineffective, while a referendum to achieve constitutional recognition and facilitate practical reform at the national level was heavily defeated. The key to this story is the referendum. The absence of one at the state level undermined the recognition granted, showing the political importance of the referendum. Yet the requirement for one at the national level not only defeated recognition, but damaged the status quo, causing politicians to retreat from previously agreed reform initiatives. When the referendum was first proposed in 1890 as the means of amending a future Commonwealth constitution, it was regarded as both radical and conservative. It was a foreign idea, a Swiss mechanism unknown to Britain or its colonies. Its direct involvement of the common man in constitutional matters was at odds with British tradition. But this radical idea of giving the people the final say on constitutional reform was also seen as inherently conservative in nature. It would allow the people to block what the British constitutionalist A.V. Dicey called the violence of partisanship and the fanaticism of reformers. Dicey dubbed the referendum the people's veto, which remains apt in Australia. At the 1891 Constitutional Convention, the then Queensland Premier, Sir Samuel Griffith, opposed the use of the referendum for constitutional reform. He considered that a very large proportion of electors would not be sufficiently acquainted with the Constitution to vote upon its adoption or reform, and that such a vote would not represent their genuine deliberation. He preferred the use of conventions comprising experts to deal with such matters. He won over the convention and the referendum was cast aside. But at the 1897 convention, a more democratic spirit prevailed and the referendum was revived by advocates including Alfred Deakin. While the constitution was to be passed in London by the Westminster Parliament as an exercise in British parliamentary sovereignty, it was first to be approved by the electors of each Australian colony as an expression of popular sovereignty. The referendum was to be the ongoing voice of the people on constitutional reform. Now, in the 1990s, the High Court recognised that the British parliamentary sovereignty, which originally underpinned the Commonwealth Constitution, had been cast off as a result of the enactment of the Australia Acts 1986. This left popular sovereignty as the enduring source of the Constitution. It was to be found not only in the original approval of the Constitution, but in the will of the people to uphold the Constitution and their continuing control over its change through a referendum. The referendum is therefore fundamental to the sovereignty 
of the Australian people. But what happens if the Australian people cease genuine deliberation on referendums? What if the people become unwilling to change the constitution and leave it frozen in a form of cryopreservation? Is this an abdication of sovereignty? Voting no in a referendum may, of course, be a genuine deliberative choice and a full exercise of sovereignty. Constitutional proposals may be of poor quality or simply propose changes that the people do not support. But a no vote can also indicate a failure to engage or a rejection of the responsibility to choose. Where voters do not have strong foundational knowledge about the system of government and the constitution, there is a risk that they will abdicate their responsibility to make a deliberative choice in a referendum and default to a no vote. This abdication of responsibility was encouraged in the 1999 Republic referendum and the 2023 Voice referendum through the insidious slogan, Don't know, vote no. Added to this were arguments that the Constitution is a sacred document that should not be touched and that no constitutional reform should be made lest the High Court interpret the change to mean something different. All these arguments can be run to oppose any referendum. They encourage the people to lay down their sovereignty and leave constitutional change to the elites. If those arguments are treated by future governments as popularly accepted and unassailable, there is a real chance that no government will risk its political capital by holding a referendum again. At least not unless it has a solid guarantee of bipartisan support, which may still not even be enough for success. How does constitutional change happen without a referendum? Well, the two main ways are through political action and high court interpretation. For example, politicians can achieve adjustments to the scope of Commonwealth legislative power by entering into treaties so that Parliament can then legislate to give effect to treaty obligations. State parliaments can also refer matters to the Commonwealth Parliament expanding its legislative powers. Greater constitutional change has been affected by the High Court's interpretation of the Constitution. For example, in 1974 and 1988, referendums were held to grant a constitutionally protected universal franchise. Both were defeated. In 2007, the High Court drew an implication from the Constitution that imposed a universal franchise anyway. In 1911, 1913, 1919, 1926, 1944 and 1946, referendums were held to expand the scope of one or both of the Commonwealth's powers in relation to corporations and industrial relations. All of those referendums failed. In 2006, in the Work Choices case, the High Court reinterpreted the corporation's powers so broadly that it overcame all the limitations on the industrial relations power and achieved the changes the failed referendums had sought. When it was argued 
that such a course would effectively overturn the will of the people and express through referendums, a majority of the court responded saying this, Few referendums have succeeded. It is altogether too simple to treat each of those rejections as the informed choice of electors between clearly identified constitutional alternatives. The truth of the matter is much more complex than that. For example, party politics is of no little consequence to the outcome of any referendum proposal, and much may turn on the way in which the proposal is put and considered in the course of public debate about it. End of quote. It is a well-recognised phenomenon that courts in those countries where the people take an active role in constitutional reform are reluctant to engage in significant reform through interpretation. In contrast, where the people abdicate their role and where the constitution is effectively frozen, courts step in to fill the vacuum and perform the role of updating the constitution. So where does this leave us? On the one hand, we have a high court that recognises the sovereignty of the Australian people is exercised through their votes in a referendum. Yet we have also seen the High Court, at least in the past, dismissing votes in failed referendums as uninformed and tainted by party politics. On the other hand, we saw opponents of the voice, including politicians, arguing that the people should give an uninformed no vote and that it was too risky to change the constitution due to possible perverse High Court interpretation. In doing so, they seem to be encouraging the people to give up their voices, handing responsibility for constitutional change to those in the very court they demonise. While the referendum was about giving a voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the outcome may be that the Australian people lose their own voice in the exercise of their sovereignty if governments make the pragmatic assessment that there is no point putting referendums in the future. If so, we will all have lost something truly precious. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review Podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.